On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. This is Jesse, and I just wanted to share with you, this is an episode I recorded at my house. Um, A friend of my wife's, uh, Kelsey, was visiting, and she has a strong, long history of musical theater. And while we were hanging around, we did a quick episode. So I think Kelsey had some interesting thoughts to share and a fun musical journey. So I hope you enjoy. Look, ma'am, an invitation here. Ma'am, delivered by hand. And ma'am, I noticed the stationery's engraved and very grand. Petra, how too exciting just when I need it. Petra's an elegant writing, so she you hardly can read it. What do you think? Who can it be? Even the ink, no here and me. Presents, just think of it, Petra is kindly. It's at a chateau, requested, etc., etc. Madam Leonora Arms. Oh no! A weekend in the country, we're invited. What a horrible plot! A weekend in the country, I'm excited. No, you're not. A weekend in the country, just imagine, it's completely depraved. A weekend in the country, it's insulting, it's engraved. Is that woman? Is that arm belt? Oh, the actress! Oh, the ghoul! She may hope to make a charm belt, but she's mad if she thinks I would be such a fool as to weekend in the country. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Set Lusting Bruce, but it's a B-side episode where we get off the Bruce train and we go to other musical uh, heroes and obsessions. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and we have a very special live version. I have Kelsey, all the way from California, who flew in just to be part of the podcast. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Jesse. It's so nice to be here. Delighted to meet you in person. Absolutely. Kelsey works with my lovely bride, Linda, and she's here from uh, other reasons, but I said I had to get her on. So, Kelsey, tell me a little about your background. What kind of what kind of music did you listen to by your family when growing up, and what were early music that you embraced and loved? Well, I actually grew up listening to classical music. My parents were great fans. My mother was an opera lover, and my dad just really preferred classical to everything else. So, honestly, my heroes were Beethoven, Prokofiev, Tchaikovsky, and I also was a ballet dancer, so I listened to a lot of classical music. Okay. That way, Chopin, all of that sort of thing. I didn't actually start listening to contemporary music until I was 16 years old. Wow. Yeah. What led you to that? Um, I was doing a lot of driving to and from ballet rehearsals, yeah. and I needed something to kind of get the energy up, and it was also uh, often the stations that you could um, easily get good reception going through some of the areas that I was going through, which were, you know, kind of park-like settings down in the San Jose Los Gatos area, so it was easier to listen to, and also I thought, you know, I'm 16, I probably should, you know, get going on figuring out what everybody else is listening to. Yeah, so Kelsey, we've already established, before we started recording, 
you and I graduated from high school in the same time period. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so this was had to be mostly AM radio. Oh and yeah. Top forty. Oh yeah. Yep. And honestly, my first um, non-classical LP was Elton John. And what was it? The Brown Dirt Cowboy. Okay. Great record. I yes. wore that thing to death. It was just so rich and so interesting and so yeah. He was. He really has a lot of heart. Were your parents anti-pop or just no. they just loved classical? They just loved classical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was it. Good. And um, were there so Elton John? Any others that you can think of that you um, embraced? Well, when I started getting subversive. Uh, and doing uh, my anti-authoritarian thing, I actually uh, really started getting into Bowie, R.I.P. Yes. And the Stones. Okay. So those were the ones who really got my blood going, you know, when I was in 17 or 18 year old. Years um, so what did you, how, what did you feel like when uh, we lost David? I, heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah, something is definitely missing in the world now. Right. Um, went through a huge Bowie phase, especially when I was living down in Southern California in the early 80s. And mm -hmm. it, he was a huge part of my emotional makeup at that point. Right. You know, Heroes and Low and, and some of the things with Iggy Pop, which were so interesting. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a huge loss. Yeah, I, I really felt it. Um... I was a big Eagles guy, so Glenn Fry yeah. hit me a little closer to home because, yep. you know, the Eagles were the soundtrack of our high school. Yes, it was. Yep. You know, and um, and to hit them both right after each other was just a tough one-two punch. Yeah, it's been a tough year. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, absolutely. As you moved into college, what were you still? What did you find other things besides? Well, the I actually Stones didn't go to book? college. I went right to work. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think um, the Stones and the Bowie phase lasted for quite some time, actually. Mm -hmm. So way beyond high school and stuff. Okay. But then um, I started getting into uh, folk dancing. Okay. International folk dancing, which has all sorts of really interesting musical in oh, I bet. influences. Oh, my gosh. And then into um, singing, both musical theater and classical singing, okay. uh, opera and operetta and all that kind of stuff. So, okay. um, you know, some of the stuff that I was listening to when I was folk dancing was uh, Bulgarian from Bulgaria and Croatia and... Uh, Palestine even and some of the English stuff the ancient stuff it's yeah. like oh my gosh this is a lot of where rock and roll came from absolutely you know rooted in the earth the rhythm is almost more important than anything else and it was so very interesting um, and and it was in a certain way it started getting really difficult to listen to pop music again because pop is very square you know you're 4-4 four -four. that's that's your your time signature Whereas with a lot of the folk stuff, it's you're dancing and singing in five, ten, five eighths or seven eighths or nine sixteenths. So it's like bum ba ba bum ba bum ba bum ba ba bum ba bum. So really, really different stuff and and harmonies where they are separated only by one note. So yeah. you get this kind of tension thing, you know. So going back to, to classical and pop, or to pop music, it was interesting. It's like, oh, well, that's really simple. It's in thirds on a 4-4, yeah. four, four, you know. Um, but I still appreciate it because there's so much depth 
to the emotion and the intent behind it. Right. You know, um, and that's where when I started listening to, to folks like Kate Bush, mm-hmm. that was evident. In fact, I think Kate Bush was the only pop artist that I ever said, hey, mom, you got to come listen to this. Wow. I never did that because they were not that interested. But I thought, you know, this is, this is really interesting stuff and it's got a lot of complexity to it. And, you know, it's, it's sincere. And Yeah, um, Linda loves Kate Bush. And one of her regrets is that she's never seen her perform live. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I have a guest coming up um, this coming week. Uh, who knows when it'll show up on the podcast catcher, but um, Lola said that she wanted to join me and talk Kate Bush. So I'm excited. That's very that's, nice. Yeah, yeah, that is. Um, she's a very interesting artist and has done a lot of really creative things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to genderize it, but I think she really speaks to women. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of women's stuff that's in there, very juicy. You know, you would think, um, you, you think a lot of times that the typical Springsteen fan would be, you know, a middle-aged white guy, which I'm so very much of. <laughs> but I've been amazed at how many of Bruce Buds and people that I've had on the show you know, um, the female following. And I think it's because of the stories Bruce tells and the emotion and the songs, you know, goes across. Um, that's interesting. So talk to me about your, uh, you said you were doing light opera and singing and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talk to me about your musical journey on being a performer. Well, um, I started singing non folk music stuff, um, when I met, started dating my husband, mm-hmm. and he was working on Sondheim pieces, um, and also was working with a light opera company that specialized in Gilbert and Sullivan, okay. which you know I'd always heard of, but yeah. never heard any of it. Uh, and so I started working in the musical theater stuff, and and discovered that Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim, is just like one of the most poignant composers I think out there. Bar none. Uh, and working on his stuff is difficult, but s- very satisfying to get because he's also one who harmonizes really unusually. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing with the rhythms, um, but also his lyrics, sometimes they're just heartbreakingly poignant. When uh, a year or so ago, HBO did a documentary, you know, an interview with him, and I had heard the name but had never connected. Sure. And so I'm watching this, and I start looking like, holy moly, look, this guy has written so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of really different kinds of things, too. I yeah. Mean, you know, he's gone all the way from Gypsy, where he actually, I think, only wrote the lyrics, um, to Sweeney Todd. Yes to um, Sunday in the Park with George, which is completely esoteric, Yeah. Um, to A Little Night Music, which is one of the most beautiful musicals ever written. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting thing about that, that's all in waltz time. Every single piece of music in that show is in waltz. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I have to check that out. Yeah, it's beautiful. So do you, 
Do you have some favorites of his or things that mean a great deal to you? Well, Little Night Music is huge. Okay. I mean, because it's just so beautiful. And that's, uh, again, where some of his lyrics just will, like, get right to your heart very mm -hmm. quickly. Um, I also have really loved performing um, in his show, Merrily We Roll Along, okay. which is actually a show about three good friends, and the show travels backward in time. So you oh. see them at a point where they're breaking up their partnership and their relationship and their friendship after like 20 some odd years. And you see all the disillusion and the cynicism and the just, you know, had it with everything. Mm -hmm. And you go backwards to when they're starting out. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful show. So, mm -hmm. you know, it ends up being completely sweet at the very end when they are just discovering how much they love each other as right. friends. And then you think back on the beginning of the show where everything has fallen to hell in a handbasket. See, I, that sounds like one of those, every once in a while I'll run into a novel or a movie where, well, now I need to see this again. Now that yes. I've got the full yes. context, I need to see this again to appreciate it. Exactly. Uh, what was the first time, what was the first show you were in? Oh, gosh. I think I was in a production of Jekyll and Hyde the Musical. Okay. Which is a dreadful show. Sorry, Jekies. Um, just dreadful. And actually, my husband was directing it. Okay. And he pulled that show apart and put it back together in such a way that not only did it make sense for the first time, but it also created a through line story-wise that was very compelling. And he mm. set it in modern day. Uh, so uh, Dr. Jekyll was in, you know, a current contemporary lab coat yeah. and uh, it was in a small small theater in the round completely in the round oh, about neat. 90 seats I think it was and he would um, pretend to inject syringes into these um, cute adorable baby rats that we had yeah which you know was a challenge for the audience it's I like, bet there are live rats on stage <laughs> and, and awfully close too because you know sure the folks who were sitting next to the rats were oh no more than three feet away wow um and actually those rats uh ended up living with my one of my best friends at the time who took wonderful care of them for many oh, years after funny oh they were wonderful wonderful rats so anyway, that, that show was really kind of a game changer for me. Yeah. I mean, it was so fun to do something that had so much energy to it, right. you know. And uh, I'll never forget the time that one of the people who uh, Mr. Hyde murdered, he stabs him, and he we used to have these blood packs that would be, in, mm -hmm. you know, in the torso area. Right. And um, when Dr. Hyde, or Mr. Hyde, stabbed this one person, the blood pack, instead of just bursting and creating blood actually jumped out and made this arc on stage and it looked like well it looked like a piece of viscera and i can mm -hmm. remember the audience one of the audience members going oh that wasn't necessary <laughs> oh, yeah you're right it was pretty funny um but yeah i think i did uh uh, a Stephen Sondheim show right after that one, uh, Company, which okay. I think many people know about, which is also uh -huh. poignant and brilliant and all of that. But then uh, after that, I started uh, auditioning for the Gilbert and Sullivan stuff, okay. which is all of its own thing. And, and yeah. once again, brilliantly written. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, surprisingly, you think, oh, Gilbert and Sullivan, yeah, I've heard of that. It's yeah. kind of, you know, lighthearted and not very important, but actually... Those guys, well, not only was Arthur Sullivan a brilliant composer and could have done, had a brilliant career as a quote-unquote serious composer, but yeah. 
um, William S. Gilbert was just so keyed into his culture and the politics at the time mm -hmm. that, and yet it transcended. I mean, audiences even now will laugh with delight and surprise at some of the situations in the Gilbert and Sullivan operettas that yeah. are so pertinent today. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of thing about, a lot of uh, stuff about authority and the abuses of power and how to trip that up in a way that, you know, makes for a happy ending at the, at the end of the show. It's fascinating stuff. That sounds great. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, you know, because I've never, I've never gone to that, uh, one mm -hmm, of those. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I'm going to get on a little bit of gestatorial. Um, one, I think it's horrible that they have cut a lot of music education out of public schools. But secondly, I don't, I don't know if when you do have it, do they do a good enough job of captivating and making it entertaining for the students? Right. Um, I have an episode that's coming on in a couple of weeks. Uh, Jay is a AP um, literature teacher, and he reaches, teaches 12th grade, and he said that um, he is specifically, he, his curriculum is driven to, for them to take a test to get college credit. Yeah. And he's a little frustrated at times, but he does throw in, like, he says, we do Thunder Road as a poem. And we read it as a poem we do. He says, I try to get a lot of poetry, and I try to make him interesting. And he said that, um, you know, his purpose is to try to give a connection to modern times and what's going on so that, you know, on really lucky students, he... He burns, he lights a lifetime passion for either poetry or literature. He says, but even on my, my hope is the whole class at least understands, you know, poetry may not be my cup of tea, pardon the pun, but I understand why it is some people's and I understand it a little. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the government is doing a real disservice to the culture that is now growing up yes. in not emphasizing the arts. Yes. You know, I, I truly believe that the arts are where we develop empathy. Yes. And a sense of teamwork. Right. Um, and a sense of a greater purpose. And right. And it, it's just so, it's, it is, kind of scary actually to think of yeah. a, an entire generation growing up not having experienced any of that yeah and I you know I certainly am a a fan of like Linda has talked about she wished she hadn't been involved in athleticism earlier like in high school because of the sense of teamwork and all this stuff so I do agree if you if you take out just football and basketball, you know, the, the money sports, right. I think the athletic departments should be important because they're people. But I think the arts just as much for people without athletic skills, a different kind of set, yeah. that you can, the same thing, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of teamwork, the sense of compromise. 
and, and working to our common good. Um, my other editorial is I, I'm sad that it appears in modern politics compromise is a bad word when it should be. I you know, um, I have a really good friend who is self-employed and a very conservative, mostly because of his business sense. But he says, you know, what I'm missing is the discussion of we both want everyone to have health insurance. We just disagree how we're going to get there. So yep. let's talk about how do we get to the same goal. Right. We want our borders to be safe. How do we do that? You know, we want, I disagree with some people, but I think we should want people to come to this country because that's how we built this country. That's right. And so how we do that is what the discussion is versus you're wrong, you're wrong. No, and and it's just a... And I'm not saying that if everyone learned about musical theater or poetry or different things, it would fix that, but I think it would be a start. I agree, I agree, because you do, um, you know, as we've already discussed, you do gain a sense of a higher purpose. Yes. Um, a sense of what it's like to work together mm -hmm. and to compromise, yeah. um, and also what it's like to feel what it's like to be the other person. I mean, that, that sense of empathy, I think, is huge, and I think yeah. that that's seriously missing um, in, in the politics of the day. <laughs> I really do think there is. There is, a, um, there is a lack of, in hate the sin, love the sinner, to put it in, you know, often terms. And, and I am, I don't understand this, the amount of hate you can have for different people and different styles and different lifestyles um, because it just seems very unchristlike. And some of our um, Christian brothers and sisters seem to not embrace that part. But back to music. Yeah, yeah, oh, this I could go fun. on forever. Yes, I know. This is great. Um, uh, did, um, are you still active? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yep, I performed in six different productions last year. Wow. Yeah, so I'm taking a break for a while. Okay, what did you do last year? Oh my gosh. Well, I did... Um, I actually performed in two different productions of Leonard Bernstein's Candide. Okay. Uh, speaking of another brilliant writer, and that was really satisfying. I also uh, performed in a staged reading of one of Stephen Sondheim's much lesser works. The whole thing is a mess, but it's mm -hmm. called um, Anyone Can Whistle. Okay. Uh, I performed in a production of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Grand Duke. Okay. Uh, I was in um, The Sound of Music. Ah. Uh, so, let's see. I think that's close to all. Yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, does this give you... Um, you know, you work in a very corporate environment. Um, yeah. And... You know, a lot of numbers and a lot of different business. Is this kind of, and I'm asking the obvious question, but is this a creative outlook that kind of, you know, you're almost a superhero? You know, your secret identity is, you know, doing this, you know, conservative and this very normal business and then moving on to 
you know, you put on your capes and tights and kind of enjoy. Oh, definitely. Although I have to think that my colleagues are, from what I've gleaned from them, uh, it's not as much of a secret. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember <clears throat> my, one of my managers once said, well, you have enough personality for two people, so, you know, don't worry about hiring somebody who's not, who's a little quiet. Um, <laughs> so I think of it that way. Yeah. Uh, and a uh, few of my colleagues have actually come to see shows, and they are, they are kind of astounded at, you know, what somebody that they know can do on right. stage in front of people. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very interesting, actually, especially in the world of finance, which yeah. uh, Lynn and I are in, uh, where it's it's pretty conservative culturally. Yeah. I mean, I can remember one time, a couple of the, the guys that I was working with, we were going to a Christmas party and said, so what should we wear? And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe a silk shirt. And they were like, ha, 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 silk shirt. But, What's so outrageous about <laughs> wow, that? Wow, that's and funny. It wouldn't have occurred to me, but um, yeah. So it and it's also such a nice kind of flip side to my life, right? You know, talk about the B side. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my A side is well. Here I am doing this responsible thing, making sure everything's done on time, multitasking. You know, kind of trying to satisfy everybody. Where I go to rehearsal, and it's all about the creative process, and yeah. all about the collaboration, and all and and weirdly enough, all about there is a director, he is the final word. Right. And sometimes it's kind of nice, actually, to just yeah. let everything go and say, he's the one. He's making the decisions. Right. You know, I do my best to fulfill it in whatever, in as creative a way as I can, mm -hmm. but it's nice. Whereas, you know, being an office manager, as Linda can say, it's a lot of it is on us yes. to come up with the solutions um, and the processes and all of that sort of thing. So it's nice to just, you know. So Kelsey, is there times that your um, creative side has helped you in your mundane, you know, your, 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 you know, the, your real job? Um, I think l having to learn and memorize and be creative with music mm -hmm. has helped uh, retain a kind of uh, facile nature to my mind. Okay. So um, I do think that there are many times when I use that part of my mind to solve the problems uh, in my workday. Okay. Is there is there any performance you're uh, you're especially proud of that you was a big challenge for you? And you feel like you really conquered it, or? Yeah, actually, for, for many years, I was um, scared to death of the times when I would have to sing by myself without okay. anybody else. And just honestly, in the last year, um, I have kind of conquered that. And it's been really nice. satisfying to say, you know what? Somebody hired me to sing without anybody else around, so clearly it must be okay. Right. And finally able, being able to internalize that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, so is there a, um, a play or a work of um, art that you haven't been able to participate in that is on your wish list that you would really like to do? Oh, there's a bunch. Okay. There's a lot. I mean, there are many... 
many roles in the Gilbert and Sullivan canon that I would love to to sing. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing with some operas and okay. some musical theaters. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. There's uh, there's uh, the, the role of Mary in Merrily We Roll Along. There's okay. the role of Dame Hannah in Ruddy Gore, The Witch's Curse. I mean, yeah. I, okay. Too many to mention. Too many to mention. So your bingo card, you have a lot that you oh, want yeah. to have on. Oh, yeah. So when you're not performing, what do you like to see? What do you and your um, uh, charming husband go and attend? And watch? Well, we see a lot of musical theater okay. <laughs> and a lot of opera, um, but we also like to see a lot of straight plays. I mean... We live in the Bay Area. Okay. You could literally go see something every day of the week that is world-class quality. Okay. Um, and the other fun thing, of course, being in this theatrical community is that anywhere we go, we're going to see at least three or four people that we know in the audience, one to ten people that we know on stage. Yeah. So it's it's fun. So you know, you're you involved it. in the community, so you get to hear and know. Exactly. Um, anything, a highlight that you saw in the past? Oh, wow. Um, let's see, I think we saw, oh my gosh, one of my very good friends, uh, Leontine Mbeliambang, mm -hmm. uh, was performing in a production of a play called Breakfast with Mugabe. Okay. Uh, and she was stunning. Okay. Stunning. So, Yeah. And that was with um, the Aurora Theater, which is um, one of the, the higher class theaters. Okay. Uh, you know, as, as everything is, it's kind of divided, and it depends on the theater company's budget, okay. whether they can hire equity actors, uh, and if so, how many. So there's kind of a, a tier system, and, and yeah. this was kind of like the, the middle to top tier okay. theater company. Um. One of the blogs I follow is a guy named Mark Evanier, and he talks about that um, there in Los Angeles, they will do versions of, um, and I forgot the name of it, so you will probably know, where you you don't do the full set, you know, you kind of have the scripts in front of you, but they have orchestra, and he says the beauty of that is you can get some really great talent that can't commit to a long Broadway run, but they're willing to do this. Yeah. And, um, That's usually called a concert reading or a yes, stage Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh -huh. So have you seen some of those and anything um, special? I have. What have I seen recently that was like that? Well, I performed in one, actually. Okay. Anyone Can Whistle was on book, is what right. they call. Uh, you're off book when you put the book away and you're right. completely memorized. Um I can remember, I don't think I've actually seen anything last year or two that okay. was like that, but there is a marvelous video of a production of Sweeney Todd mm. that um, Emma Thompson actually plays. Oh, neat. Uh, Mrs. Lovett. And it's an amazing thing if you ever catch it on YouTube. Okay. Just the very beginning, they all come out in concert dress and they've got their music stands in front of them. These are the singers. Yeah. Uh, and the orchestra is behind. And they come out with their books and very elegantly place them. And then all of a sudden, one of the characters just like slams the book across the room. And everybody else starts getting all subversive, like taking pieces of clothing off and going oh, into neat. real costumes. So it's like it creates this energy. Wow, that's Especially sounds... for Sweeney Todd, which is yeah. a high-energy piece anyway. That sounds but, cool. Oh, man, you got to see it. You gotta okay, see well, it. good. I'll have to check it out. If I find it, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, 
so, um, any future plans? You said you're taking some time off. Yeah, nothing that, okay. you know, made me want to get off of my rest and, <laughs> and go do it. But I'm sure there will be. I mean, you know, stuff gets auditioned for all the time. Right. It's pretty constant. So, okay. yeah, but no, right. nothing. Good. Um, is there, do you have, um, what have you, what, what have you heard about Hamilton and has your community talked a lot ha! about it or something? Oh my goodness, yes. I okay. mean, you know, uh, obviously I'm on Facebook with a lot of my theater friends. Yeah. And it has been nothing but Hamilton ever since the show opened. Um, in fact, one of the folks that I have worked with, a good friend uh, who is also a music director, uh, he saw the previews yeah. in New York and said, okay, the game has been changed. Wow. Yeah. So what's funny is, um, you know, I go to a lot of science fiction conventions and comic book conventions, and uh, Brent Spiner was going to be at a Dallas show, and my friend Tom Zoller did a sketch of him as John Adams for him to sign. Ah, great. Instead of Data. And um, so I'm in line, and um, the people running the line said, um, he's not rushing. We're sorry it's taking a while, but if if you bring up something he enjoys talking about, he's going to talk to you about it. Oh, so, nice. Okay, so so he he saw the sign, you know, he saw the sketch, loved it, said, I would love a copy. I said, he said, I wish I had this. And I said, well, if you want to contact me, I can have the artist do one for you. And he said, oh, absolutely. And so I said, do you have a P.O. box? And he says, um, no, but why don't I just give you my home address? I'm like, are, are you sure? He goes, yeah, you look like a trust. Hopefully you won't tell anyone else it. I go, no, no, no. So he talked about how much he loved doing 1776 and that revival and how he That's thinks it's... a great it's, show. He says he thinks it's the best book ever written. Yeah, it's a very, very good show. Yeah, and but then he said, have you seen Hamilton yet? And I said, no. He says, okay, buy the soundtrack now. He said, because you will see this. It's gonna tour. It's going to. He says, "Trust me, you will end up seeing this." And he says, "It is amazing." Yep, that's what I hear. Yeah, a lot of my friends uh, have actually flown out to New York mm -hmm. just for a day or two mm -hmm. to get to the lottery to get tickets for wow. Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been sold out for two years now. Yeah, um, and it's actually there's a touring production coming to San Francisco oh, neat. Uh, this next year and I mm -hmm. think it's also completely sold out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a huge commodity and everybody raves about it. You know, I, I watched the interview on 60 Minutes they had with the show creator and, and he seemed just so charming and nice and it really, it seems, it, and I, you know, it's one of those, you know, peanut butter and chocolate moments where, <laughs> well, why can't we mix all these genres? Why can't we yes. do this different things? Yes. So, um... Yeah, I've heard that he's a very kind person to his uh, yeah. performers and oh, collaborators, that's nice. too. Yeah, it's really nice to know. Good. And I love the fact that it's not e actually even racially blind casting, which yeah. is kind of a big thing, right. but just the diversity of humans. Yes. You know, it, was, it just didn't matter in that way. Right. You know, and also, you know, rapping. It's just 
it's just awesome. Yeah. 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 I heard him, uh, somebody insisted on uh, showing me um, a clip of him rapping, I think, on one of the Tonight Shows or something like yeah. that. And it was like, oh my gosh, this guy is brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, thank you so much for well, thank you, talking. Yes. <laughs> it really is funny. Uh, just to give, pull back the curtain a little bit, listeners. So Kelsey's here visiting for the weekend. Um, Linda and her work together. And, and I told Linda, I said, do you think Kelsey will do a podcast with me? And Linda, of course, rolled her eyes and said, oh, why are you whipping her? But uh, Linda's sleeping, and Kelsey's like, yeah, let's talk. So thank you. If someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they? Oh, well, they can um, certainly get in touch with me through the Riverside Company, which you can Google my name, Kelsey Poe. Okay. Uh, and uh, my work email address is very accessible. Okay. Anybody can send me an email. Okay, very yeah, good. I'd love to talk to anybody. Well, thank you. Thank well, you. if you want to be on set Lusting Bruce and talk about... Of your musical session, be it Bruce, be it Hamilton, be it poetry, uh, send me an email to setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page, setlustingbruce, and we are on Twitter at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. Uh, and for now, thank you, Kelsey. We thank appreciate you. it. And now we'll go enjoy the rest of the day. in the hours would you take a big swing what's the problem what's the problem would you lie would you cheat would I shop would I shop would you kill yes <laughs> my mom and dad my mom and my dad from airship the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast I'm Jeremy Schwartz and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts 
or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.